0: Hi, I'm Perry King, and I am the next guest on On Screen and Beyond.
1: On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now... Here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Hey, thank you for joining me for another episode of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak. This is episode 506 of the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels. TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week on On Screen and Beyond, Perry King is going to be joining us. You remember him from Riptide, also the Lords of Flatbush, and uh, all sorts of other shows. I mean, he was just continually on TV, and all the series he's been in, and the movies, and everything else. He's got a new movie coming out. It's called The Divide. Now, you don't want to miss this one. It's a western and uh, it's it's going around on the f- uh, festival circuit right now. But on Saturday, August 25th, this Saturday, at 6.30 at the Rinda Theater in Rinda, California, just outside of the San Francisco Bay Area, you can catch The Divide, and uh, Perry's going to be there. He's going to have a little talk after. You can get to know him, see him, meet him. That's all part of the California Independent Film Festival that is happening this weekend. So be sure to check that out. And uh, we got a lot more coming your way. So Perry King's coming up in a few minutes and it's time for Remake Madness. Hang up and try again. Paramount's live action remake of Dora the Explorer will have Eva Longoria cast as Dora's mom. All right. And the showrunner for The Exorcist has been brought on board to write the screenplay for the remake of Stephen King's Tommyknockers now that's Exorcist the TV show and La La Land and The Greatest Showman show writers are writing songs for the live action Aladdin remake so they're going to have some new stuff on there and that's it for Remake Madness coming up next on On Screen and Beyond let's take a peek at what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies Upcoming new movies, Tom Sizemore and Bill Mumy. Remember him from uh, Lost in Space? Of course, he was a guest here on On Screen and Beyond, too. And uh, they're all going to be part of a film called Agents of Project Blue Book. You can catch that as it's set in the 1950s. So no word yet when it's going to be released or anything like that. But Nicole Kidman will star in Destroyer on Christmas Day. It's an action crime drama. And Jake Gyllenhaal, Joaquin Phoenix, John C. Riley, and Rutger Howard will star in The Sister Brothers. It's a western about a gold prospector being chased by the infamous assassins, the Sister Brothers. And that's it for upcoming new movies. Next on Screen and Beyond, let's take a peek at what's coming your way as far as sequels. Taking you down to Sequel City right here on On Screen and Beyond. Sequels. It looks like Sony has fast-tracked the Bad Boys for Life film with Will Smith. And uh, it looks like uh, all of a sudden it's just going vroom because uh, some scheduling changes. And the shooting hopefully will start in November for a 2020 release. And Bright 2 from Netflix with Will Smith. Uh, because of some scheduling changes, will now look for a March start on filming. So he's going to go from Bad Boys for Life to Bright 2 right off the bat. Samuel L. Jackson and Kobe Smulders will reprise Nick Fury and Maria Hill, respectively, in the Spider-Man Far From Home sequel. And that's it for Sequel City. Coming up next on Screen be Beyond, let's take a peek at what's coming your way as far as TV on DVD. TV on DVD Westworld, the complete second season, lands on 4K Blu-ray and DVD on December 4th. Star Trek Discovery Season 1, November 13th on Blu-ray and DVD, and Longmire Season 8 on uh, DVD on November 20th. That's it for TV on DVD next on On Screen be on, What's coming your way as far as movies on DVD? Movies on DVD, October 2nd. The First Purge arrives on Blu-ray and DVD. Also on October 2nd, you can get Sicario, Day of the Soldado. And The Boundaries with Christopher Plummer, that comes your way on October 16th. That's it for Movies on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it's TV and Entertainment Time. <laughs> TV and Entertainment Time. Renee Zellweger will be starring in a new Netflix TV show called What If? It's called The Social Thriller, and Robert Zemeckis is listed as one of the executive producers. Also over at Netflix, Joel McHale's show has been canceled, and HBO will bring us a Watchmen TV show, and you can look for that next year sometime. And that's it for TV and Entertainment Time. Next on Screen be Beyond, it's Celebrity Birthdays. <laughs>
0: don't forget we told
1: you so happy birthday, happy <laughs> birthday! <laughs> celebrity birthdays august 22nd james corden turns 41 and it looks like let's see here tori amos she is going to be turning 55 and on august 23rd you can look for scott con to turn 42 and rick springfield turns 69 barbara eden Jeannie from I Dream of Jeannie turns 87. And Shelly Long, she's turning 69. And that's it for Celebrity Birthdays. As far as listener birthdays, didn't have any coming in. But if you would like to have your birthday, friends or relatives mentioned on the show, send the information to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. And we'll be glad to get that on for you. We'll all wish you a very happy birthday. So that's it for Celebrity Birthdays. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we've got a great guest coming your way. Perry King. Remember him? He was on Riptide and all kinds of TV shows and uh, The Lords of Flatbush. And uh, just it goes on and on. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff with Perry. He's got a new movie that is out in the Film Festival area arena right now. And uh, it's going to be shown on Saturday, August 25th at 6.30. That's this Saturday at the Arenda Theater in Arenda, California. It's called The Divide. Perry is going to be there. He's going to talk about the film after. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you're in that area, in the San Francisco Bay Area, head out on the BART. Go out to uh, the BART over to Orinda. Get off the BART and walk right over to it. The theater's right there. So, anyways, uh, let's get into it. Perry King next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Joining us today on On Screen and Beyond is an actor we know for his many roles on TV and movies, including The Lords of Flatbush, The Hasty Heart, in which he was nominated for a Golden Globe, Spin City, Melrose Place, The Day After Tomorrow, and of course, on Riptide, as Cody Allen. His latest film, The Divide is being played around the country at film festivals. And on Saturday, August 25th at 6.30 p.m., you can catch a screening of The Divide, which he also directs at the California Independent Film Festival in Orinda, California, in the Bay Area of San Francisco. It's Perry King. Perry, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Thank you, Brian. Good to be here. Now, Perry, it's a pleasure to have you on here. I've I, seen you in so many things over the years it's it's like you, you you know you you've been in a lot of different shows and and movies
0: yes, I have uh you know i'm i'm there's a lot of actors I think like me that have been kicking around forever and uh <laughs> never really got terribly hot or became stars, but just keep chugging along and uh doing something we love to do and I actually have come to to feel extremely lucky about that. You know, when I was young, of course, I was uh, fighting along with everybody else to be as successful as I could be. The goal was always stardom and power and choice and all those things. But honestly, the older I get, the more I think that the lucky ones are the ones like me that just chugged along in the middle ground and kept working, but never paid a big price for it. You know, I've known several people now that have i've watched go from complete anonymity to fame and what i saw really in every case it seemed to me was that they lost something they didn't gain something they lost something uh first of all they lost their goal if your goal is to be rich and famous and you get to be rich and famous well what you've really done is lost your goal secondly you lose tremendous amount of freedom i i just Breaks my heart to to when I occasionally hang out with somebody really famous. They have it's like hanging out with John Dillinger. It's really no fun to be them and no fun to hang out with them. You know, Hmm. I I, I've I've made my living as an actor for fifty years now, and yet I I can go anywhere I want, do anything I want. You know, really, it's it's lovely. I I really feel very lucky about
1: it. Yeah, I'm surprised to hear you say it because I mean, you know, I mean, sir, you're very recognizable. I mean, you know, I mean, you you've been in so many films and 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 uh, TV shows. I figured you were dodging people all the time.
0: <laughs> well, not no, not at all. I mean, I just don't think that's the way people recognize people. You know, you have to, you you uh, for one thing, it's it's very short this period of being recognizable. You have to be in something current that's really quite hot for mm, people to true. know who yeah. you are, or having, or just be an icon like. Sylvester Stallone is is an icon, mm-hmm. you know, and he's just everybody. And also Sly, I know Sly from doing the Lords of Flatbush yes. a million years ago, and and he uh, he's just so unique. Also, you can't <laughs> you can't miss him, which was such a problem for him until he created Rocky for himself.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, let's a lot of things we, I want to talk to you about for sure. But uh, let us know about this new film, The Divide. What, what's the what's the story of that one? Okay, I will. Actually, it kind of relates to Rocky
0: in a way, because I was sort of a part of that event of Rocky becoming such an incredible hit back then. And uh, the reason is when I was doing The Lords of Flatbush, I met Stallone, and he just. Astonished me, along with everybody else involved in that film. I mean, he was breathtaking. To this day, people have no idea how extraordinary he is, how talented, how skillful. How he's a genius. He really is. But it's very hard for people to recognize that because he has this outward persona, talking like this, (laughs) sounding that way, and you know, it, it. And he's very aware of that. He's very aware of how limiting in people's minds that is. So we're doing the Lords of Flapper. She's playing this Brooklyn thug along with me. Right. Mm-hmm. And I should have realized that none of us were who we seemed to be. Cause I certainly wasn't. I only got the part cause I pretended to be a Brooklyn hood back then. I, I was unknown and I could audition in character, which is really so much more fun than when you become known as a commodity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, And so I went to Brooklyn, I was auditioning for this guy, uh, this tough street kid from Brooklyn in the 50s. I'm a, you know, Ivy League, Yale graduate uh, with this old family tree. I'm not that at all, but so I went to Brooklyn, I got a leather jacket, I learned the accent. I just became the guy as much as I could. I went in the audition. They never, the guys who made the film until the very end of the film had no idea. I wasn't what I purported to be. But Stallone was in the film. And I assumed that Stallone, too, was what he seemed to be. He was playing this kind of dumb, big kid with a leather jacket. I just assumed that was who he was. And he gave me a script one day. He said, he said, yeah, I wrote this thing. I I wonder if you'd take a look at it. You know, read it. See what you think. And I took it home. I thought, oh, God, this is going to be painful. And I read it, and it's still one of the most incredible scripts I've ever read in my life. He's never done it. It's about Edgar Allan Poe. And he wrote it for himself. And actually, if you know Stallone and you look at his face and you look at portraits of Edgar Allan Poe, they look very similar. There's a lot of similarity. Hmm. And he's an extraordinary actor. He could have played it beautifully, but he knew he was so smart. He knew nobody would ever let him play that part. And he couldn't get any jobs. And I was so amazed by him that I arranged for my manager at the time, an extraordinary woman named Jane Oliver, who managed Chris Sarandon, Susan Mm -hmm. Sarandon. They were married at the time, myself. And then I took her saloon. I arranged a meeting because I thought he was so amazing. And she and he hit it off right away. And she helped him engineer Rocky, um, she really had a lot to do with that happening. In fact, he dedicated the third Rocky to her because she died very young, sadly. Wow. But, um, but in any case, um, and I watched him create this extraordinary part for himself and then proceed to be so brave about the way he went at doing it. I mean, he came out to California. We all did after we finished The Lords of Flatbush. He drove out in an old junk car he had with his wife and his little baby. And I used to tune his car up for him because he didn't have money to put spark plugs in it. Yeah. And and he got offered at one point for Rocky Chardoff and Winkler, I remember, offered him up to three hundred thousand dollars for the screenplay. Now that's like a million dollars today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he could almost not feed his family. And yet he turned it down. Wow. He wouldn't take it because he said, No, this is my part. I'm not gonna sell it out. I play the part or no deal. And finally they gave in hmm. and they let him play the part. And you know, the rest of it, we all know the rest of that story. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, so many, many years later, all my life, I'd always wanted to make my own film too. Now I'm not suggesting my film is anything like Rocky, but it was my film playing a part. I wanted to play. I I got, this film is me just, being sick of waiting for Hollywood to offer me a part that I really wanted to play and that to be in a film that I really thought could be a good film. I'm really kind of sick of what Hollywood's doing these days, very frustrated by it for the most part. Mm -hmm. So this is the film I wanted to be in. This is the film I want to make and, and, and want to be part of. And it's a film that's intentionally very, very old fashioned. Uh, because that's what I love, mm-hmm. it's the, yeah. old, the old films. That's what I grew up with. And it's a film that was shot at my own cattle ranch up in Northern California, which uh, we did partly because I wanted it to be a Western, but also partly because I was trying to maximize what I could put into the film and, and make the most of it. You know, mm-hmm. It seemed like a very sensible thing to do if I owned the location. I don't have to fight with the location owner right. about <laughs> what we're going to do there. <laughs> um, and it's a it's just a, it's a very old fashioned film about what I like movies to be about, which is the drama of ordinary life, not about people who fly around with a cape. Right. And <laughs> not a- about endless blood splatter, which yeah. is what Hollywood's about most of the time. Yeah. You know, so violence there's no... and, and superheroes. That's yeah, yeah. I was going to want to do.
1: Yeah, I was going to say there's no uh, no explosions in this, and there's no uh, uh, men running none around in tights want. and <laughs> no.
0: none of that. Absolutely not. No, this is a very old fashioned film. It's a film that I'd like to think, you know, maybe a, a John Ford would have been interested in making. You know, mm-hmm. a film about real, very simple, old fashioned people struggling with life. My my feeling always is if if you knew the story of somebody you've been you know the people you pass on the street every day you don't even look twice at them you don't know who they are but if you could be inside their lives their lives would be filled with drama because everybody's life is mm-hmm. so that's what I like to see films about yeah you know? yeah the now, story the- of real people and that's that's what Hollywood used to make in the thirties and forties fifties right. movies about real living, breathing people that we could see ourselves in. Mm -hmm. Did you help write this? Well, I worked with Janet Brown, who wrote it. Um, We developed uh, the parameters of it initially Mm -hmm. um, when we started talking about it. I said that I wanted to make a film that would be a Western, that would be a period. And I said, any period at all, as long as it's not today. Um, A film that would take place on my cattle ranch so that set the location that would be a film about fathers and daughters because i have two daughters and that story sings to me and it would be a film whose theme was redemption because that's the f- the theme that sings to me the most always and uh and that's the theme of rocky by the way mm-hmm, yeah. uh, and a lot of films i mean there are only a few themes really but that's the theme that i always want to see films about redemption Everybody understands redemption, you know? Everybody needs redemption for something. So when they see a film about redemption, they can really connect with the characters, I think. Mm-hmm. But Janet then took that and really evolved this terrific story. But Janet was not a screenwriter before this film. So what I could then do to help her a lot, I think, I think we worked well together as partners in this sense, is that I've read and worked on hundreds maybe thousands of scripts
2: now right you know yeah.
0: Yeah. so i i could say to her i'm sorry this doesn't work or this this isn't right or you know mainly what i said to her frankly is what i've come to believe as an actor on films which is less less cut 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 you know mm-hmm. um instead of a speech it should be two words or maybe nothing you know it's it's way more effective um if you can
1: distill uh, dialogue down to its bare essence. Yeah, look at Clint Eastwood and um, uh, the, the spaghetti westerns he did. I mean, you know, he spoke well, very little. And, and <laughs> more
0: importantly, the ones that he controlled, like Unforgiven. Oh, yeah. Which is one of the greatest films of all time. Yeah. You know, and Eastwood's a perfect example. I'm a huge admirer of Eastwood's. I mean, he's just, but that's what he makes. He makes old-fashioned movies about real people. Mm-hmm. And that's And his films are sometimes the best movies made anywhere in the world Sometimes they fail, but he's, he's a man that has the courage to fail, which is one of the things I admire the most about
2: him.
1: Yeah. Hmm. So how long a shoot did you take with uh, the, the Divide?
0: Well, you know, I tried to put into practice the lessons I felt I'd learned over almost 50 years now of being an actor. And one of the things I've learned is that on every set I've ever been on, I mean, I don't know, I've been on 100 years, 20 movies and TV movies and shows and things, I think something like that. And uh, on every set I've ever been on, the first thing you hear in the morning is hurry up, hurry up. We're behind schedule. Come on, come on, come on. Even the sets with millions of dollars behind them. All you ever hear is how late it is, how we've got to rush. So I thought, I want to spend my money buying the one thing that's missing on sets. And it's the most important commodity, which is time. Mm -hmm. So if I'd gotten funding, because I'd funded this film myself. I knew I could, it's the only way I could do the th- do what I wanted to do mm-hmm. yeah. and do it the way I felt it should be done. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, if I'd received funding for this and I had several offers of people that wanted to fund it, but they would have given me a typical Hollywood schedule for a film like this, a small film with only a few characters, they would have given me maybe 15 days to shoot, mm-hmm. probably more like 12 yeah, um, and you could do it in that space of time. You could get it done, but instead, I had a thirty-day shooting schedule, five-six-day weeks, um, which was a luxurious schedule for a, a small film like this without anything very big in it.
2: Mm-hmm. And that was
0: the one place I spent some money. Everywhere else, we were very frugal. Yeah,
1: but um, yeah. So now, it, being a western, I always hear people telling us that a western is. Uh, harder to make because, you know, you, you're involving horses and things like that. But uh, you, I presume that you, since you have a cattle ranch, that uh, you knew how to ride mm-hmm. a horse to begin with, right?
0: Yeah, I can ride, but uh, they're right. Dealing with horses is occasionally a <laughs> in the butt. <laughs> There's one horse that's very important in this film, and, and she's my horse, and I damn near fired her halfway through the movie because I got so fed up dealing with it. <laughs> She's a very sweet, gentle horse that loves to be given affection. And that was very important that, uh, that, that she had that quality. Unfortunately, I didn't realize this until we started shooting. She's a horse that is just very nervous around a lot of people and cameras Uh, and stuff. So, you know, so I almost fired her. She was a pain in the butt, but (laughs) still she came through beautifully. She, she did her job and she tells the story perfectly.
1: Yeah. So did you like the freedom of of, you know, not having a studio or somebody standing over you saying, OK, cut this or don't oh, do that? Or, that must be nice. That Like,
0: like is too small a word. <laughs> <laughs> it was glorious. This was the most enjoyable thing I've ever done professionally in show business in my life by far. I mean, it was wonderful. So satisfying. It has been so incredibly satisfying every step of the way. And now that we're into festivals, I think we've been in seven before before this festival. Mm -hmm. Um, We've been winning lots of awards. Who knows what will happen with this one, of course. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, we've won so many awards, I can't keep them straight. It's just so fun. And, and frankly, even if I set fire to the film the day we finished editing it and wrapped it and locked it, I would have been completely satisfied because I finally got to do something that I like, that I'm proud of. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just God, I, I can't, I shouldn't dwell on it because I don't mean to sound like I'm complaining about Hollywood. Hollywood's been extremely kind to me yeah. for decades. Yeah, but I don't like what's coming out of there these yeah. days. Yeah. I just really dislike it, and it was so nice to to do something that that I can be feel happy with and proud of yeah just really satisfying
1: i can hear it in your voice i mean obviously this is something to you know you really enjoy doing
0: yeah this is just the acme of 50 years of being a professional actor Hmm.
1: we'll be back with more of our guests right after this short break
0: as you said, my first time directing, but now the best, the best, of course, I wanted to learn everything I could about directing. And I, I tried to learn from directors over the years and learned a lot, I think paying attention to them. But I think the best single piece of advice I got was something I, I read an interview with Clint Eastwood and in that interview at one point, he said, when I'm directing, I try to be the director I want to work for when I'm an actor. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, my God, that's perfect. I know who that is. I mean, I know exactly who the director is I want when I'm acting, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I thought that's a wonderful goal. Be that guy. Be that guy you want to work for. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The one that, that says, first up, when you're trying to figure out the blocking of a scene, right away, the guy who says, okay, guys, here's the set what would you like to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody ever says that. Right. What would you like to do? What's your thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean you don't come to the set with a clear idea of how you want to shoot it. If nobody has any ideas or if nobody has ideas that are better than yours, but mm-hmm. you know, I want to be the director that knows very well that, that taking other people's ideas when they're better than yours is a smart thing to do. Yeah. You know, you're not going to be the smartest guy in the room, and you're certainly not going to outsmart ten other people mm-hmm. or five. You know, so listen, incorporate, bring it in.
1: You know, yeah. yeah. Hmm. So now, uh, at the California Independent Film Festival on Saturday, mm-hmm. the twenty fifth, are you going to be at the, at the showing? Yes, I am. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So no, I
0: I love watching it, but most of my career, I avoided watching the stuff I was in because it was often. So disappointing, and uh, and it was painful. And I, I, there's a lot of things I was in I never have seen, but this movie I've seen zillions of times now, and I love it. I, I love now watching audiences watch it.
1: Mm-hmm. So much fun. Yeah, yeah. Now, d- did uh, you have a lot to do with the editing? Yes. Yeah, I it- was you know
0: involved in the editing. Uh, we spent about a year. Janet Brown, my partner in this and uh, and the writer and the cinematographer Russ Rayburn who's also been a partner to me in this of course um, was involved in the film oh, a couple of years before we shot it But and the three of us edited it and Russ has been an editor but we couldn't get there I thought I knew what editing was before I started doing this film I mean I'd been an actor for 50 years or so I'd Spent a lot of time in edit booths watching editors' work. I'd, you know, I'd talk to many of them. I, I thought I knew what it was. I had no idea. <laughs> One of the things I'd love to do sometime would be to have a very short seminar with a bunch of young actors from SAG, Screen Actors Guild, mm-hmm. just an hour, and just sit down and tell them what I've learned about editing. Because I tell you, actors, for the most part, really don't understand what takes place. And it's fascinating. And at this point, I'd have to say, I would argue that the most creative part of making a movie and the most difficult part is editing without question. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Makes everything pale by comparison. It's so tough. You know, the famous thing that you learn, whether you're an editor or not, even an actor learns. I'm sorry, I'm very hoarse because I live in Northern California. And we've had terrible fires for weeks up here.
2: Yes. And I'm very
0: lucky. I have not lost my house, but there's been fires all around and breathing this smoky air for weeks has just been beating the hell out of all of us. Mm, Yeah. Although we have nothing to complain about because those of us like me are lucky enough to say we still have a house. Plenty of people don't.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: But in any case, um, editing, they, they tell you this story. You're, you're taught this always. And the story is, you can take a very simple scene, let's say a four page scene. You shoot, maybe it's between two people. So you shoot a master, big wide shot, right? Mm-hmm. Then you shoot maybe two different over the shoulders, two different singles, maybe another gravy shot, like a different angled master or something. So you have, let's say six separate camera setups and they teach you. And it's true that you can take those six different pieces of coverage of this four-page scene and you can cut that into a hundred different scenes. You're right. Right? Yeah. And it's that's the famous story. Here's the thing they always leave out. Ninety-eight of those are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They stink. You got to find the one or two versions that are good. Mm-hmm. That's the part they leave out. Yeah, you can make a bunch of different scenes. The options when you're editing are endless, yeah, frankly. Endless. But most of them stink. You gotta find the ones that work. Right. That so I, I spent two years cutting this film. No kidding. After one year we all watched it. It was I think at that point two hours and ten minutes long. It's now an hour forty three. So two hours and ten minutes long and it was there, but it was pouring. It was dead. I, I watched it and I thought, damn it, is this it? All this work? And we end up with a boring, forgettable movie? Hmm. And so then I I went out and I thought, I've got to just start all over. That's all. There's no other choice. Now of course if I'd funded this film from any source, they would have required me to deliver it within three or four months right. probably. And certainly six months and certainly never would have given me the chance to start all over ever in a million trillion years mm-hmm. but because it was my own money i was able to say that's it we got to start all over just go back to square one start all over mm-hmm. which we didn't completely do but almost did and i met and and signed up with an editor named gillian hutching and gillian brought to it a skill skills but also a sensibility that just ran counter to what we had been doing and just made it come alive. You know, she and I together would work every day for most of a year and just pound on it, pound on it and pound on it. And we, we'd start with what we had, but we hone it. It's again, a cliche of editing, but it's so true that half a second here or there is a world of difference. It's incredible. Yeah. How? What a difference it makes. And she's taught me things, wonderful stuff. Like one day she made a smash cut, a cut where you're looking at something, and then suddenly you just cut like three or four seconds down the line. So the the person in the shot suddenly jerks to a different position. You know. Mm-hmm. And that's against the rules. You can't do that. You have to. Cut away to something and come back and see the person in a different spot, right? Uh So a smash cut. And I said, you can't do that. She said, why not? And I said, because it's a smash cut. You can't do that. She looked at me like she was talking to a tiny little child. (laughs) And she said, Perry, it's a movie. We can do anything we want. (laughs) And my head just expanded. like My head went whoa, wrong. I thought, my God she's right, yeah, so what if the rules say you can't do that and but the trick again, the trick was she knew when to cut, mm-hmm. she knew the very instant that you as the audience are getting bored with that shot and want something new to happen, and that's the moment you cut,
2: mm-hmm. you know, yeah,
0: <laughs> I mean it's it's just uh it's just wonderful what what she did to it, so wow. she brought the film alive in the final analysis. It's, it's the story of this film has been so serendipitous every every step of the way. It just seems like you chug along and chug along and every time we needed somebody they would show up. Yeah. Every time. Huh. Over and over and over again. Wow. I mean from Jana to Russ, my cinematographer, to the cast, to Gillian to oh, just wonderful people every step of the way would help me, help me so much. Hmm.
1: And now, people. wonderful lady
0: named Karen Landers, who's a two-time award-winning sound editor, she helped me meet and, and connect with Gillian. She helped me with
1: editing it.
0: She helped me with all kinds of stuff. Just, just to help me. Just because she's a wonderful person, mm-hmm. and uh, she, you know, that's been my experience for fifty years now. That the really, really extraordinary people are so generous and kind, <laughs> always so helpful. Yeah, you know the the ones that I've worked with over the years are Matt, like James Mason and Shirley MacLaine and uh, Catherine Hepburn and Claude Rains, the great wow. actor Claude Rains. They were all so kind and generous to me because they knew how good they were. They didn't have to prove anything to anybody. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Huh.
1: Now, so people can see this film. Uh, this week at the uh, Saturday, August 25th at 6.30 at the Orinda Theater in Orinda, California. Yep. And uh, if, they if, will. Yeah, if you're in the Bay Area, it's very easy. You take the BART and you go right to Orinda, and then you can get off on the BART and just walk across the street, and you're at the theater. It's right there. Beautiful really? theater. Oh, oh, yeah. cool.
0: I didn't know that. I didn't yeah.
1: realize that. Yep. It's, it's, That's it's great. very easy to get to if you, you know, rather than drive the car, you can take the BART if you want. Yeah, uh, Wonderful. So uh, it's a, a beautiful thing, and, uh, and you'll be there so people can get a chance to talk to you. So that'll be interesting. And I certainly will if, if there's time, if I'm
0: providing time. I'd love to talk to people afterwards about it mm-hmm. or before. Yeah. Yeah, because as you can tell, I love this thing. I'd talk about it forever. Yeah. So and, satisfied by it.
1: Yeah. And, and Perry, I want to ask you a couple more questions about uh, your career. Um, mm-hmm. Now, is it true? You know, you see a lot of things on the internet, and you you never know if it's true or not. But is it true that you auditioned for the role of Han Solo for Star Wars? Yes, it is. You yeah. did, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, of
0: course, back then, when I don't know
1: what year that was, but, was it 70 uh, yeah. 78 or yeah. something, something like that? Seventy six, yeah, seven. some something like that. Certainly in the seventies. At that time, of course, nobody had ever heard of Star Wars. It
0: was just a movie they were going to make, right? So I went in, and I met the director I met in a as I remember an office in paramount the old paramount studios <laughs> and he was sitting there and I sat down and I said okay now what, what's this movie about what what is this movie that you're going to make because I knew nothing no one did and um he said well I'm making a movie for kids and I thought oh crap let me out of here <laughs> I don't, don't want to be in a movie for kids <laughs> you know I was 28 or something 26 you know it's busy trying to be a movie star and uh and he said it's a movie for kids from 6 to 60 or 8 to 80 or something like that it became a sort of a famous line of his you know Mm -hmm. I mean I'm sure he'd said it before he said it to me but it was obviously a line that he'd used many times to explain his concept yeah and uh so we did this audition and I remember when we did it rather than now, it, for anybody out there who doesn't know the process of shooting film, this may be a little confusing. But generally speaking, you'll shoot – it was me and Charlie Martin Smith. You probably know Charlie.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, remember
0: him, Charlie Martin Smith? He, you'd know him if you saw him. Yep. He's been in a million things. And uh, and he and I, we, had, we didn't know each other before. We were playing, I guess, Han Solo and uh, – Luke and I guess he was playing reading for Luke. I'm not sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Luke Skywalker, yep. I guess. So um, anyway, we're doing this scene, and <coughs> rather than move the camera, George Lucas switched us in the shot, and and it was it was a move that made it much simpler for him to keep shooting, but made it very confusing to an actor <laughs> uh, because all of a sudden you were in a different spot. So everything changed, you know? Uh-huh. And I just remember arrogantly thinking, man, this guy's going to be tough to work with. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> you know, I mean, God, I'm not too smart yet in my life. But God, <laughs> when I look back at who I was then, I think, well, at least I've made some progress, I think. <laughs> but uh, anyway, just a few years ago, they were doing some special edition of of Star Wars. And they sent me... This, uh, a clip of this audition because they wanted to put it in with a bunch of you know well known actors that auditioned that failed to get the part. Mm-hmm. And I watched this, I mean, I was happy to have them use it, but I watched it and I thought, oh my god, no wonder I didn't get the part, I'd never seen it. You know, you don't get to see that stuff. Right. I was terrible, jeez, <laughs> I was awful. No wonder I couldn't, I you wouldn't have cast me in a chewing gum commercial. I mean, it was just pathetic. <laughs> but then years later, somehow I'm not sure really how uh, they were doing the radio shows for National Public Radio mm-hmm. shows, and Harrison Ford didn't want to be in it or couldn't be in it or I don't know what happened. But they needed somebody to play Han Solo, and they gave me those parts. And God, that was so much fun. That's the most fun acting I think I've ever had hmm. up until maybe doing the Divide. The, Divide. It's the most enjoyable <laughs> experience, really because it was just pure fun. You know, there were really no technical, there are no technical requirements to radio acting Mm -hmm. other than learning how to turn the pages.
2: Right. That's the only
0: thing you have to do technically. And the rest of it's just the sheer joy of acting, sheer Mm -hmm. fun of it. Yeah. And we did all three of the first movies. Um, the first, you know, that those first three were the famous movies for a long time until they did more of them. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and we, the first film, for example, we used all material that Lucas had written but never used because he wanted to be, kind of do a favor for NPR and, and help little kids that hadn't been able to see the movie get a taste of it, you know? Mm-hmm, yeah. So we did uh, the first film, as I remember we did, it was obviously a two-hour movie, but we did 10 hours, I think, the first. Wow. First, and it's all his material, wonderful scenes. Like, I remember doing a scene with Mark Hamill And John Madsen, who directed it, Mm -hmm. um, we were doing a scene of uh, Han Solo and Luke Skywalker, and they were trapped on some ice planet, and they were in an ice cave. And so on this set, to record it, we built ourselves a cave out of whatever was around, just made a cave so it would sound like we were in a cave, Mm -hmm. and recorded it in this... Oh, God, it was just so much fun. I can't tell you... One of the coolest things I've ever had a chance to do. Yeah. So I finally, I did get to play the part yes. of Alonso. <laughs> finally, it turned out.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Now, like I made, I said in the introduction, you, you know, we've seen you in so many different shows and everything, but one of the ones that sticks out in my mind a lot is Cody Allen in *Riptide*.
0: Mm, uh, it,
1: yeah. Was, that was a fun show? Yeah, I was going to say, how did you come about getting that part? Well, uh, you know, it
0: was casting, and I and I very much at that point wanted to do a series because I wanted to. I was convinced that if I could spend so much time in front of a camera, I'd finally relax, you know, it's, to go back to that audition for mm-hmm. Han Solo. I mean, up until maybe the time that I did that series, Riptide, uh, when the camera would roll, I'd get this twinge of tension in me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I thought if I could be in front of a camera so much that I would hardly notice the difference between when the camera rolled and when it didn't, I could be better for it. And I thought the answer to that is to do a series. And I really wanted to do that show. And I had actually contracted to do a series before that called Empire. And we'd shot the pilot and my agent called me after we shot the pilot. And I'm, I'm telling you this story so that anybody out there who's listening, who's ever been fired, do not despair. This is a good example. This is what I've learned about being fired. I did this pilot. My agent called and said, "Good news! They bought the pilot." And I said, "Wonderful." And he said, "Bad news. They're <laughs> they want to get rid of you."
1: Oh, jeez!
0: <laughs> <laughs> they fired me off this pilot, and it was devastating because I thought, you know, I was horrified. I thought it's all my fault, and I'm no good, and all the stuff you think when that happens. Yeah. Well. Only because I was fired off that pilot did I get the chance to audition for riptide. The show that I'd been fired off, they went through about four or five different people in that part. They finally came back to me and said, we made a terrible mistake. We should have stayed with you. Will you please come back? And I had the incredible pleasure of saying, take that job. and you know. And, but my point is, being, I've been fired twice off shows in my career and both times it led to the best stuff that has ever happened to me. Yeah. So
2: yep. anybody
0: out there that ever gets fired from anything and freelancers, you know, when you're an actor, you're a freelancer, you do so many shows and you get fired every once. Everybody's that I know mm-hmm. has been fired once or twice, you know? Yep. It it it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the yeah. second time I got fired, they said, Uh oh, you, we want somebody else. We're getting rid of you. And I said, okay, fine. What's next? Let's see. <laughs> I, you know, and sure enough, something wonderful came along that was better than what I'd been fired off. Of.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you got to have that you know, attitude. A,
0: well, and and it's legitimate to have that yep. attitude because it really does lead to better stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And the show again. The second time I got fired, I got fired off a show, and that shows the highest ratings they got for that show was the show where they killed me off, and the show went straight down the tubes after I left. So, again, I got yeah. incredible satisfaction, I'm <laughs> saying to them, I guess you shouldn't have fired me.
1: Right. <laughs> as well as going on to a better gig. You know? Yeah. Well, Perry, <laughs> I want to uh, you know make sure that if, if anybody listening is in the area of Orinda, California, out by San Francisco, uh, on Saturday, August 25th, at six thirty, be sure to go see the Divide at the Orinda Theater in Rinda, California, and check this out. Thank you. Uh, it sounds like a great please. film. And, and please, and
0: and if they miss it, wait for it. You'll get a chance to see the Divide at some point. Mm-hmm. I promise you, we're going to get it out there in every forum. So, uh, and it's if you if you miss the old movies, and if you miss,
1: you know, if you find
0: it hard to see something in the theaters that you're liking, take a look at the Divide. I think you'll like it.
1: And, Perry, I'd like to finish up with two final quick questions. Yes. Taking us away from The Divide, which, once again, everybody should go see, and uh, your acting and everything else you've ever done. But when you sit back and relax, what are your favorite TV shows? What are you watching now and in the past? And what's your favorite movies now and in the the past?
0: Mm. Well, let's see – my favorite film at the moment, I would say, of all the films I've ever seen, and it taught us, it's a couple years old now, it taught us a lot that we used in The Divide, actually, is a, is a film called Ida. <laughs> we would call it in this country, Ida. It's spelled I-D-A. It's a foreign film. It's Polish, I think. Hmm. Uh, it's from, from the middle, middle, uh, middle Eastern European country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's from Poland. Um, I don't know why I don't know that, but in any case, it's a wonderful, superb film. Very old-fashioned. Again, Ida, I-D-A. That's probably my favorite film. Most of the films I love, they are old ones. I love to watch uh, Turner Classic movies, for example. That's probably what I watch on television. I I don't know that I have a a modern television show that I watch. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I'm out of step. You know, I don't like most of what's out there. Yeah um mm-hmm. so yeah but that that's a great film and that director has made a new film cold cold war i think it's called uh that polish director i haven't seen his new film but i can't wait yeah this guy to, is extraordinary
1: have to check those out yeah 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 well perry uh, once again i want to thank you so much for taking nah, the time thank
0: you it's been a great pleasure
1: and i wish you so much luck with the, the divide I, I can't wait to see it thank you
0: Thank you. I can't wait till you do see it. Please let me know when you do, what you think of it.
1: A big thank you going out to Perry King for joining us here at On Screen and Beyond. And you can catch Perry at the California Independent Film Festival this weekend. It's going to be going on. And uh, Saturday, October 25th, he will be at uh, the Orinda Theater in Orinda, California, right off the BART at 6.30. They're going to be showing The Divide. Great film. Be sure to check it out. And Perry's going to do a talk after. And, uh, you know, he's so easy to talk to. I'm sure, you know, you can go up and talk with him after, too, individually, whatever. Great guy. Be sure to check it out, The Divide. uh, As as you could tell from the interview, he really, really enjoyed making this film. So I hope you all head out there and enjoy it. And uh, like he said, uh, if you can't make it to that, it's going to be at other film festivals. And, of course... I'm sure at some point there will be a uh, DVD release on that, or Blu-ray, whatever. So, uh, keep looking. Keep checking it out. And uh, that's it. And like I told you last week, things are going to be coming fast and furious. And we've got another interview coming up uh, very shortly. So, get ready for that. It's going to be popping up here, and... uh, don't forget, if you're in the California area, check out the California Independent Film Festival up in Orinda, California, outside of San Francisco, right on the BART system. It's a great place to go. I, usually I get there, but I haven't uh, been able to get there this year, and uh, I was hoping to, but I couldn't. But, uh Perry's going to be there, and you can check him out. A whole lot of other guests are going to be there, too. In fact, uh, Mindy Sterling, who was a guest here at On Screen and Beyond, is going to be there, and Doug Jones, uh, he's going to be there, and a whole bunch of other people, so be sure to check it out. It's a good time, always, and it's always one of the best fun festivals that uh, I've I've gone to, so uh, be sure to check that out. Well, that's it. Like I said, we have another episode coming up shortly, so... Until next time, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care.